I can't believe it didn't get mentioned, and it's up to the visiting speaker to have to say this. Is John's birthday today? <laughs> sure, bro. <laughs> uh, so you are going through the book of Genesis. So if you want to turn to where you left off last week, Genesis chapter 16. And uh, just a couple things before we start. One is a verse uh, in the New Testament in the book of Romans. Uh, it seems good to mention that one as we are here in the Old Testament. So here's Paul writing in the New Testament, speaking about the Old Testament. And he says, whatever things were written before were written for our learning. That we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. So if, uh, if that's something that we believe, then, uh, then we should be looking forward to things that we're going to learn here in this passage in the Old Testament. Anything about Easter? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I think we can. I mean, we might be able to find something in here about Easter. Um, so let's, let's, uh, let's see. Chapter 16, verse 1 says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And I know I'm stopping there, and I know you gave me two chapters, and you're like, Scott, if you're stopping at a half of a verse, how far are you really going to get this morning? But it just becomes so apparent immediately that some things that God promises we have to wait a long time for. Uh, maybe it's three days, maybe it's 2,000 years, and you know, maybe. But at least it seems like a long time in our estimation, you know. <laughs> at least it seems like that. Abram and Sarai had been married for many years now, and in all that time, Sarai remained barren. And we're not told plainly that Abram's own mother was barren for some time, but it would appear so. We learn that Terah, Abram's father, lived 70 years before he begot children, apparently. Uh, that was unusual. The average age in the genealogy uh, right before this chapter, uh, that genealogy of names leading up to Abram, except for Shem. Shem's like part of the old school. He was on the ark. He was the pre-flood world as well. Um, but after him, the average age uh, of having children for a man was 31. And yet Abram's father was 70. Hmm. But Abram, <laughs> he had passed that mark of 70 by now. Sarai was about 10 years younger than him, so she was getting up there. And it's just, you know, that was a natural expression as I thought about this, but I'm like, you know, I don't know if that's appropriate because there's some people that are 60 here, and I don't know if you would say I'm getting up there. But <laughs> I'm thinking when I get to be 60, I'm going to say I'm getting up there. <laughs> but uh, she was 60. Um, and at the age of 75, the Lord said to Abram, I will make you a great nation. <laughs> at the age of 75, one, one can only wonder what Abram had thought of that. Make of me a great nation. I'm 75 years old. My father had me at the ripe old age of 70, and that was entirely unusual, and I am 75. Hmm. And between then and where we are in this story now, 
the Lord had spoken multiple times to Abram and in different wording that he was going to have many, many descendants. But here in our story, Abram is now about 85 years old. Sarai is about 75. They are still waiting. There is no child. Yeah, some things that God promises we have to wait a long time for. And how well we do for ourselves, if it seems right, which it means it is right, in the sight of God that we should have to wait for something, how well we do for ourselves if we are patient. We are patient. The kindred word to patient is, is persevere or maybe even endure. Not only that, how well we do for ourselves if we're going to have to wait for something, what we would consider a long time, if we have faith. If we have faith. And then there's one more thing I thought of too. How well we do for ourselves if we have to wait for something for a long time, if while we're waiting we have hope too. That would be just a delightful way to wait (laughs) patiently in faith with hope. Now, we should get it clear in our minds that as far as God is concerned, that's how he would have us go through this life. That's how he would have us. Our Heavenly Father is a good father, and he allows things to come into our lives, but he intends for us to learn at some point to be able to go through those things patiently and trusting him, having hope, waiting to see the end intended by the Lord. But most of us know what's about to unfold here, and that is trouble. (laughs) Trouble. For whenever we move away from living in faith, trusting God to work out his plans in his way and his time, whenever we move away from that, it's going to be trouble. (laughs) So verse 1 again, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, by the way, just in case anyone doesn't know this, Sarai is going to be Sarah and Abram's going to be Abraham. Just in case anyone's like, who are these people? I don't. Sarai said to Abram, see now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress, now that's Sarai, became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. This is not the way God was going to bring about uh, his promise. They were kind of doing things uh, at what seemed reasonable to them. I've thought about it just 
to give maybe a little bit of the benefit of the doubt that when God had told Abram that he was going to bring uh, nations from him, that he didn't quite specify that it would be through Sarai. So maybe there was a little bit like, maybe she thought to herself, wait a second, the Lord's promise was that it would be through Abram. Maybe it's not going to be through me. And so the idea of Hagar came up. That's giving a little benefit of the doubt maybe, uh, but still it was not... It was not what God had in mind, and it certainly certainly wasn't the original plan. The original plan from the beginning is one man, one woman, forever, Adam, Eve, not to be taking other women and other wives and having children by them. But this was their idea. It's a very important point here, as well as what's going to come later in chapter 21. God's blessings... God's promises are not going to come by means of an effort of the flesh. And that's what this is. This whole arrangement with Hagar is an attempt to bring about God's promise by their own effort. And that's never going to work. That kind of thinking and doing only brings, well, trouble. How are God's blessings ultimately going to come? How are God's promises ultimately going to be fulfilled? And catch this, I like, uh, I like saying things that are true to the story, but and you say them in a certain way and, and you realize that we're thinking about more than just the story here. How are they going to come? They're going to come by means of a son whose birth was foretold. Whose coming was promised. Who had to be waited for. In faith. And even a son whose birth would be miraculous. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) That's how God's going to bring about his blessings. That's how God is going to fulfill his promises. Not through some effort in the flesh and the birth of one named Ishmael. It is Isaac. He hasn't been named yet, but we know who this is, I hope. It's that son Isaac, not this one here, Ishmael, who reminds us very well of the Messiah, Jesus. Ultimately, it would be through him that God's blessings would come. Ultimately, it would be through him that God's promises would be fulfilled. We love that verse, uh, or even in the New Testament says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. (laughs) You want to find a yes concerning the promise of God, you'll find it in the Son of God, Christ Jesus. Ultimately, it is him whose birth was foretold, whose coming was promised. Ultimately, it was him that was to be waited for patiently in faith and whose birth would even be miraculous. You know, we find God to be so kind at this point in our story. I don't know if you've ever done things that brought trouble on yourself. (laughs) That would probably... Probably all have done that, and I hope that you know and you have a personal testimony. God is so kind. 
Because even though ultimately his blessings and his promises will come through the promised son, that is Isaac, who will then have a son named Jacob, whose name will be changed to Israel, who will then have 12 sons, who will become the nation of Israel, through whom the Messiah would come. Even though that's God's plan, we see the Lord blessing Hagar in this next part of our story and making a promise to her and to her son. There's something to learn even from that, that the nations are of interest to the Lord. Certainly Israel is going to be Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who becomes Israel, 12 sons, a nation. Absolutely God has an interest in, in blessing them, but it's always been in his mind he wanted to bless the nations too, and that's Ishmael and his offspring. Did not the Lord say to Abram, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. The Lord's just too generous to just be that limited. You know that passage in Isaiah, I love it, where the Lord says, now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him. And we're jumping ahead. Jacob, Israel's far away from God. And they've broken the covenant. And God's intention is to bring Jacob back to him. But in this passage, he says, you know what? Um, it's too small of a thing that you should be my servant. Speaking of the Messiah, speaking of Jesus. It's too small of a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles. That you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And I bet you most of us here are probably really glad about that, except for me. Aaron, he's Jewish, so he's gonna, he was already part of the original thing. But this extension to the nations, we should all be very happy about that, that God's heart was that generous, that he would send the Messiah, not just for Israel, but for Israel and the nations. What a beautiful and generous heart God has. As the story moves on, we'll see this kindness both in the rest of this chapter and in what the Lord will say to Abram in the next chapter. Let's go to verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by a spring on the way to shore. Seems like she's going back to Egypt. She's Egyptian. She's going back to Egypt. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly. Sounds a little bit like what he said to Abram. Hmm. So that they shall not be counted for a multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And we love this part. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. You are the God who sees. That's El Hroi. El Hroi. That's 
a name. She gives God a name, El Roi. And she said, have I also seen him who sees me? Therefore, the well was called Ber Laha Roi. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. What a blessing the Lord speaks of here, not for those only who would become Israel, but of those who would be of the nations, that he would multiply them exceedingly. Yes, he also speaks of the conflict that would come as well, which we see even today between the Jews and the Arabs. It's been trouble. There's blessing there. God has a way of doing that, but there's also trouble. And there is a kindness here towards Hagar and her offspring. There is a generosity to be found with God. And a little more of this will come out in the next chapter. It's just so good. So very kind. And we love this little section here of this interaction with her and the Lord. And she gives the Lord this name. You are the God who sees. And really, uh, it's you are the God who sees me. I, I hope that we all know that name <laughs> by personal experience. We know when we are in distress. And John was mentioning earlier, there's a lot of people going through great difficulties right now. And there's a great need to persevere. Brother, sister, the Lord sees you. And you can say that. You can say that. I mean, he sees everything. There's one thing to be saying, he sees everything. And it's another thing to say, he sees. Lord, you see me. What a comfort that is to know that you are seen by him especially in time of distress. And that somehow, in the midst of all the distress, he sees you, and he's going to bring out a blessing out of it all. You know, the end intended by the Lord. Mm. I hope you know that personally. Uh, Just own that name yourself. You are the Lord who sees me. Well, now that Abram has gone into Hagar and we have passed all that, is, is this the right word, nonsense? <laughs> We're past all that. Now they can have the promised son, right? I mean, now Abram is 86, Sarai is 76. We're moving into chapter 17. Verse 1 says, now Abram was 99 years old. Wait a second, 99 years old? 99 years old, we just jumped ahead 13 years. Still no promised son. Some things that God promises we have to wait a long time for. (laughs) Maybe a little bit longer than we're expecting. Maybe a little longer than we're expecting. But see, God has points to make. (laughs) God has points to make. He's got an agenda. He is, if you didn't know this, He's entirely brilliant, entirely brilliant, and we just let him 
do what he's doing, <laughs> we'd see it more clearly. He's entirely brilliant. <clears throat> and there's purposes. There's absolutely beautiful purposes in why he does things the way he does them and in the timing that he does them. But even still, we go back to that point of this is what God is going to do. If he, his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are above our thoughts, and if he's going to unfold things in our life in a way that we're not expecting, in a way that's going to cause us to have to wait, then how well we do for ourselves if we wait with patience and we wait with faith and hope. Especially because we see story after story after story in the Bible of people who've had to wait for God. Of people who had to wait for his promises. Of a nation that had to wait for the Messiah. And finally these things came true. And they were wonderful. It would be so good if we knew these things and they stirred up in us hope. The end intended by the I keep quoting that. I spoke on it recently so it's coming to mind. It's a, a phrase that's used about Job in the book of James. And you see all the trouble Job went through, but you see the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. And we count them blessed to endure. You know, and we see one story after another. Can we not apply it to our own lives and just say, all right, let me be patient here. That's why sometimes, you know, you've heard it said before, uh, don't pray for patience because you know the Lord's going to bring in something. Well, part of the way we learn patience is through the scriptures. So it doesn't always have to be experience. But if you're not in the scriptures, then the Lord may say, well, okay, <laughs> I'll bring the experiences. Here you go. And it might be difficult. But one way or another, and I'm sure it's a combination of both, ideally, it's so good to have patience because we're going to have to wait for things. And if we're not patient, we haven't learned it. Just is so hard. But look what he says. He says to Abram, 99 years old, the Lord appears to him and says to him, I am almighty God. You know that name? It's fun to know these names of the Lord. That's El Shaddai. Almighty God. I am El Shaddai. And then he says to him, walk before me and be blameless. Have we ever entered into this? Have we ever given thought to walking, which figuratively speaks to the way we live, day by day, moment by moment? Have we ever thought of walking before the Lord? To be constantly doing all that we do with a consciousness of his presence, of his gaze upon us, to be in his sight. <clears throat> now, Abraham had already come into a right standing before God. That was chapter 15. He had done this by believing God, and many of us here have done that already too. We have come into a right standing with God because we have believed God. We have believed the gospel. We have believed in Christ. But this conversation that we're at right now is given to us as distinct from that event. Now, I know ideally we'd say 
when we believe the gospel, when we come into a right standing with God, we should immediately be walking before him. But be that as it may, we still see two distinct events here. Abraham comes into a right standing with God. Now God appears to him at another time and says, hey, I don't know if God says, hey, but walk before me. You are in right standing with me. Now live your life in my sight, in my gaze. Be conscious of it continuously. You're saved. Now just walk with me. The one is positional. The other is practical. The one is our standing. The other is our walk. So you're saved. Maybe I could speak to someone this morning. I don't know who. You're saved. You have been for a while. How about walking before the Lord now? How about walking before the Lord now? How about living in his sight now? Day by day, moment by moment. It's not just a a switch we flip. But it is something we take to heart and begin to be purposeful about. Naturally, we just we just go about life without very much thought of the fact that his gaze is always upon us. That everything we do is in his sight. I mean, I know we would easily assent to the truth of it. But we don't practically enter into it until and unless we take it to heart and begin to be purposeful about it. I know that this was my life. I saved. It was no day by day, moment by moment, consciousness that I was doing things in his sight, constantly in tune with that reality. Just go about your day. You're not really thinking about him. Maybe on Sunday. But walk before me. Walk as your manner of life. Day by day, in my sight, be conscious of it, be aware of it, remind yourself of it. And it would seem to me that one of the most practical ways to accomplish this is to have conversation. I really want to walk practically in his sight before him. Conversation will be a great way to do that. I am constantly hearing him talk to me every day. And even by means of his word, you know, the more we know it, it's amazing how he speaks to us because we know his word. And so we, we hear him speak to us even when the written word is not in front of us because we know what it says. And then we're talking to him, constantly talking to him. I'm, I, I, I'm growing in this too, you know, just, just conversation continually. That's one of the most practical things we can do to begin to really be purposeful about walking before him. And what a place of joy and strength and peace and hope to find that whatever the day requires, whatever, the, whatever may surprise us, there's the Lord with us. We're so aware. Someone doesn't have to bring us to him to remind us of him because our way of life is to be walking before him. And more and more, we find ourselves aware of his presence in every moment. Do we not know that in the presence, in his presence is 
fullness of joy. <laughs> so if I could be more conscious of being in his presence, that's pretty much a promise of greater joy in my life. As we read this morning, even from Isaiah, they rejoice in your presence. They rejoice in your presence. But I'm just going about my day, and I'm not really in his presence consciously, practically. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say we're missing out on some good joy. It's going to take some time, though, to develop that. But, and, of course, there's a little more here because he says, and be blameless. Walk before me and be blameless. Maybe that's why we don't really want to walk before him because we're really not much interested in being blameless. If you're going to walk before the Lord, yeah, be blameless, be holy, be pure, be moral, righteous. There needs to come a point in time in our life as a Christian where we are living continuously in the sight of God and living in his sight in a way that is pleasing to him, even fully pleasing to him. Blameless. So reminds me of our Lord when he was here and everything he did, every step he, even before he began his ministry, was all with a conscious awareness that he was doing things in the sight of his father. And he was always pleasing the father. Let's be like him. <laughs> I mean, I know we're going to screw up now and I can't, but what an example for us. And if you really have no interest in being blameless, there's no way you'll know the joy and the strength and the peace and the hope of what it really means to be walking before him. There's an artist that I like, uh, Josh Garrels. Some of you may know him. I love this song. Michelle hears me blasting it out again. She's like, I think I need to learn this song if you're going to like it that much. <laughs> uh, and he sings, strength like a lion burns like fire in my veins. Because I will run and I will not grow weary until I'm face to face. I feel the pleasure of my Lord when I'm in stride. For the glory of the Lord is a man who is completely alive. Oh, brother and sister, to know the pleasure of the Lord, to know the pleasure of the Lord as we walk before him and are blameless. And as Josh would say, I just feel his pleasure. When I'm in stride, <laughs> when I am in stride, I feel his pleasure. And if we would do this, if we would be interested in this, of walking before him and walking before him and being blameless, Something happens here with Abram that we can relate to quite easily. He's told to perform something outwardly as a sign of the covenant that he has with the Lord. For him, that was circumcision. What is that for the Christian? Baptism. Something outward that puts on display the covenant that I have with God. Baptism. It shows it forth outwardly, what's happened on the inside. If there's someone here and you haven't been baptized yet and you're a Christian, you need to be baptized. And the moment you say, this sounds good to me, I want to walk before the Lord in my life. I don't want to just be saved. I want to walk in his sight constantly. I want to grow in that way. 
I'm confident there's joy in his presence. <laughs> and I want to have all the blessing that comes from walking before him and being blameless. And as soon as we determine to do that, I, I got to be pretty sure the Holy Spirit's going to be like, hey, get baptized. <laughs> get baptized. Have you not been baptized yet? Get baptized. You want to walk before me and be blameless? Abram's right away, this outward sign is given to him to perform. And Abram does it. Um, I know we're running out of time. Let's just uh, read this. It says, now Abram was 99 years old. The Lord, when, uh, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. An everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. Some people just, I don't know, that needs to resonate a little more. The land for Israel is an everlasting possession given by God. It was his. He gave it to them as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout your generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who was born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who was born in your house and he who was bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her. And also give you a son by her, by her, not anyone else. Let's just make this very clear. I'm going to give you a son by her. <laughs> then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, no, that's not the way I'm going to work. And this is such an example. I'm trying to do something here. I have a point to make. I am not going to bring my promises. I'm not going to bring my blessings in any effort made in the flesh. It has to come with a promise that's to be believed. That's the way I'll work. If I promise you something and you believe it, that's how you get my blessing. That's how you get my promises fulfilled, not by any effort of the flesh. No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. 
We all know what Isaac's name means, right? Laughter. (laughs) I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. And he finished talking with him and God went up from Abraham. So Abraham took Ishmael, his son, all who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael. And all the men of his house, born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Hmm. Well, you want to get the blessings and the promises of God. You need to go through the son. The son that was promised. The son who had a miraculous birth. (laughs) the son whose coming was foretold, who was waited for. And now, of course, I'm speaking of Jesus. If you want to get in on the blessings and promises of God personally, you need Jesus. (laughs) No other one, no other son is going to, to work but that son, that beloved son. He was waited for for a long time, but then he came. He finally arrived, and even as Isaac will show us in a later chapter, he will be found upon an altar, being given by the Father as a sacrifice. Speak, of course, with Jesus in mind of the altar of Calvary. He came as the Lamb of God that that promised provision. That's what Abraham, I'm stealing somebody's thunder from a future week, but Abraham says, my son, the Lord will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. That was the name of the place even after God provided a ram. It was still called, and it was called all through those days, even up to Jesus' day. They could point to that place and say, in that place, the Lord will provide. If you just imagine the Lord hearing that, knowing he was that provision that would be provided. Yeah, if you want to get in on the blessings and promises of God personally, you need Jesus and you can receive him even this morning by faith. And all the promises and blessings are in him. Take him. Take the son, the promised one. He's come. He's given his life for you. And if you receive him, you can have all that God promises in him, which is a lot, which is a lot. So I just have to finish up. Is there something about resurrection here? There's something about resurrection, right, in Abraham offering the son on the altar, right? We know that. And I know someone's going to get mad at me. Someone's going to come and say, brother, I have that chapter. Stop taking my stuff. (laughs) Well, what does the writer of Hebrews say? That Abraham received Isaac in a figurative sense back from the dead. Pretty cool. In a figurative sense, Abraham received Isaac back from the dead when he took him off that altar. But what about here? Is there anything in resurrection here. I'm not going to try and make it fit. Uh, if it's not there, it's not there. It just so happens that hundreds and hundreds of years later, a man by the name of Paul would write a book we would call Romans. 
and in it he would make this declaration, God who gives life from the dead. That sounds like resurrection language. (laughs) God who gives life from the dead. Life from the dead. In fact, Paul would even go on to speak of the resurrection of Christ in that very chapter. Now, here's the interesting part. What's the context? What's the context of those statements? God who gives life from the dead, and then he speaks about the resurrection. What's the context? What's in between those things? Here we go. (laughs) Abraham, not being weak in faith, did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Paul speaks of Abraham and Sarah as if they were a tomb. He speaks of them as a place where there is death. They were too old to have a child. There was deadness in that regard. You can't bring life out from what is dead, right? If it's dead, it's dead. He considered his body dead. He could have. Her womb, dead. You can't bring life from what is dead, right? Who could possibly have the power to bring life out from that which is dead? Well, God can. (laughs) God can do that. And Abraham knew it. Abraham knew that God could bring life out of death. My own body's dead. My wife's body is dead. But that's not going to stop the God of the resurrection. He can bring life out from what is dead. And so he didn't waver in unbelief. He was fully convinced that what God had promised, he could deliver on. Because he's the God of the resurrection. And he can bring life from what is dead. Hmm. That's what Paul has to say. Right there in that passage in Romans. Abraham knew it. He knew that God could bring life out from the death, out of death. And Abraham believed in the God of the resurrection. He trusted that God could do it. And you know what? God did do it. Isaac was born. Again, I, you know what? You have to wait for it. Uh, we haven't gotten to it yet. You're sitting here waiting for this son to come. And he hasn't come yet in our story. In fact, I hate to tell you this. He's not even coming next week either. <laughs> I gotta wait a couple more weeks. That seems very appropriate, though, that we, in telling this story, we're all having to wait for the son to come. <laughs> and well, we we are, aren't we? He could come today. <laughs> we're waiting for him to come. Oh, it's just, you know, God sure likes to give hints about what He's going to do, and the Book of Genesis is filled with them. Just filled with them. Well, let's pray. Our Savior, we love just thinking about you. Uh, We love thinking about you even as we think about Isaac and Abraham. We can't help it. The more uh, we know about you and the more we know about the scriptures, the more we're just reminded about you everywhere we turn. (laughs) And even in a passage uh, like we looked at this morning, that we should be able to have our thoughts brought to the resurrection, uh, that you are the one who has risen and you are the one who brings out life from what is dead. And uh, we just rejoice in you. We rejoice in the fact that you are present with us. You are risen and coming again. And pretty soon, pretty soon we're going to see you. (laughs) We're waiting. We're waiting for the promise of the Son to come. We're waiting for you in our own respect. Um, But that promise will be fulfilled, just like all of your promises are. And uh, we count on it. And we have patience and faith and hope while we wait. (laughs) And we just give thanks, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.